0: NFR Extra is a podcast dedicated to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo and features icons and personalities that embody the Western lifestyle.
1: I don't
2: ever remember a time in my life where I didn't want to sing country music and be a cowgirl. It was like this hand-in-hand thing. And for me, the singing part of it just came very, very naturally. They're just men of character. Always the men in my life that have been cowboys have been men of character. And they've kind of held themselves to that standard. And he had a massive impact on me. And uh, the way that I wanted to represent agriculture And our way of life came from the respect I have for him. For a second there, it made me try and make cowgirl cool. But you really just don't have to make cowgirl cool. Like, it just kind of is. It is. You're exactly right. So I just stopped trying so hard. And that's when things started working. So (laughs) I'm grateful for that. This is Brylin Bentley, and you're listening to NFR Extra. How are y'all?
0: We're doing well. How are
1: you?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Sorry to be late. I had an appointment and I just got out of it.
1: No problem. Fashionably late is okay.
2: <laughs> Thanks, guys. I think
0: there was a pretty good country song written about waiting on a woman. and uh, Yes.
2: <laughs> I was just, you know, living the country song or helping y'all live it, I guess. Nothing wrong <laughs> with
0: that at all. Nothing wrong with that at all. So we're we're really excited about this conversation because... We talk to different artists that talk about the Western way of life, but Ms. Jenna, you've lived it.
2: Yeah, I get to live it. You know, I, I love, love, love the cattle industry. And uh, it's what made me even want to sing country music. I mean, I grew up listening to Eddie Arnold and George Strait and Don Williams and my granddad's pickup with him and, I, I think when I saw that George lived what he sang about, it inspired me and has continued to inspire me my whole life, really. And, you know, I got to sing songs like Wide Open Spaces in the middle of Wide Open Spaces. And I guess I've just always thought if I could make people feel the way those songs make me feel when I was out in the middle of nowhere, then I'd be doing what I was made to do.
1: So what was it like growing up on a ranch?
2: Oh gosh, I mean, awesome in every way. I think it just made me more creative because I was playing Little House on the Prairie on a prairie, you know, underneath a big old pecan tree in Thackerville, Oklahoma. And I don't know, I think a lot of the fact that I got to grow up like that added to my ability to write songs because songs are so creative and my mind was allowed to wander. And then I think that, and then the grittiness that it required of me, and it wasn't something I thought about, you know, like my granddad would just be like, you know, go get this job done. And I wouldn't come back until it was done because he told me to do it. And, uh, he believed I could. So, um, so I would just do that. And I think it's a combination of the creativity that I was allowed and the hard work ethic. And really, I think, uh, you're exposed to a lot of, you know, life and death situations and life and death in general. And I think it just makes life that much more amplified because of it. And it's a combination of all those things that made me who I am and and gave me a point of view to sing from.
1: One of the interesting things about production agriculture and ranching and rodeo, um, you really cannot put a false presence in front of people that are authentic. and. Yeah. <laughs> You've made two mentions about your grandfather, and he sounds like a very authentic man. What impact did he have on you growing up?
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, he, he and my other grandfather, who was not a rancher but was a Texan through and through, they both probably were and are the biggest influences on me as a person. My granddaddy, the rancher, I mean, it's like, I don't know. When I first got to Nashville, I would be in these A&R meetings and people would pitch me songs about cowboys. And you talk about, you know, the real deal or having it put in front of you. All these songs would be from a unrealistic uh, standpoint. Like these people would write songs about what they thought a cowboy was or what Hollywood told them a cowboy was. And to me, a cowboy is somebody that you can feel their character by the way they shake your hand and they say they're going to be there and they're there 10 minutes early and they don't leave until the job gets done. And they're just men of character. Always the men in my life that have been cowboys have been men of character and they've kind of held themselves to that standard. And yeah, I mean, he had a massive impact on me and uh, the way that I wanted to represent agriculture and our way of life came from the respect I have for him and the way that it inspired me to love what I get to do now, you know, as far as day working and ranching go and um, and what I get to represent within the music industry. And then uh, my other grandfather was the reason why I'm not afraid to sing in, in front of anybody. And um, he called me his star and uh, asked me to sing at any like Mexican food restaurant or like random place you be like you know you got a song for us and i'd be like yes sir you know my siblings would just cringe inside but i would sing patsy cline and um or the national anthem believe it or not um at any one of these places that he would just have me burst into song and so yeah a lot of my confidence or stage presence and belief that you know i can entertain people came from his belief in me so I think it was the combination of both my grandfathers, um, that influenced me in every way to do what I'm doing right now.
0: Well, it turns out that national anthem performance uh, is going to beat you at the <laughs> NFR, but we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> okay. Let, let's reflect back a little bit more and and take us everybody and and Steve and I being from different parts of the country and Brylon as well. She comes from a, a ranching and rodeo background. Everyone has their own way of working cattle. So take us through uh take us through a family branding day.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we growing up it's different now cuz I'm in West Texas and we rope and drag and do all that fun stuff in West Texas, but in northern Texas, southern Oklahoma, it's really common to use a squeeze chute and a calf table. And so um we did things that way growing up and and I loved it. I mean, it was just great, but my sister and I would usually hop in the truck if we weren't with my mom, you know, when we started being able to drive and my uncle would say, be there at 6 a.m. And if we were like one minute late, we got a call <laughs> that was, you know, he was very unhappy with us. Um, but we'd usually stop at Waterburger on our way and get a breakfast on a bun and a coffee and show up. And usually he had donuts or something and a big old thing of coffee for everybody that was working with us that day. We'd gather or we'd have already pinned them up the day before and uh, then get in there and sort and uh, get the calves. We usually had two or three pins that we kept the calves in separately and then worked them in batches out of that. And I ran the gates and thought it was the funnest thing ever. Mm. And we had one of those like swing door tubs Mm -hmm. that, you know, click as you have less cattle in them and run them through the chute. And my sister was usually in charge of vaccines and we'd ear notch and do all that good stuff and then pair them back up and put them back out to pasture and kind of stare at them afterwards (laughs) you know how you just kind (laughs) of like look and see you know if anything's not looking good or like you might have to watch it the next day and and then uh really just listen to them as they quieted down and It was always just magic to me, like the whole process, like hearing them get loud, you know, when you take them away from their mamas and the mamas getting, you know, cranky in there. Um, And then just the whole process to putting them back out to pasture and the sense of accomplishment that you feel after it's all said and done. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just beautiful to me. And I, I love the repetition of it. I love seeing calves hit the ground in the spring and and uh, just, I don't know, there's just such a way that I think ranching gives you just this almost expectation. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen that are unexpected, but you have like a rhythm to your year and that, you know, branding day, uh, branding week, you know, set the tone for my whole spring and, and I absolutely adore it.
1: Did you guys have like, obviously it seems like a pretty big to do, but when it was all said and done, kind of have a big barbecue or a big lunch or something afterwards?
2: Big lunch, yeah. We would go to Catfish Louis or the Front Porch Cafe and or the Dieter Brothers, uh, which is like a little barbecue place. And my uncle would kind of choose after my granddad was not, you know, able to help quite as much. But when we were with my granddad, it was always the Front Porch Cafe. that always had uh, chicken fried steak, green beans, mashed potatoes, mm. and sweet tea. And that is like... My, if I was to die tomorrow and I knew it was my last meal, that's what I would eat from the Front Porch Cafe in Thackerville, Oklahoma.
0: That's awesome. There's a nap following that too, right? Uh, Oh yeah, yeah.
2: absolutely. At the bunkhouse, we have like uh, four twin size beds that are, that used to be milk cow stalls. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) like, I just, this vision of my granddad after working cattle, it was just him on the one to the left when you walk in the door right next to his desk and he's got his boots sitting right next to it and his hat over his face and <laughs> it it was just awesome yeah my sisters and i would either be too you know amped up after it to take a nap but as we got older it was nap time as well
0: <laughs> well you were talking about the the rhythms of the ranch and the the rhythms of the the seasons that yeah. the western way of life gives us tell us a little bit about you getting into your rhythm in the the music industry was, was there a certain instrument that always interested you or were you always a singer?
2: Yeah, I, I think I was first and foremost, a singer always have been. And and a lyricist, I would write poems for my family growing up and be singing little songs on the back of a four wheeler and now on the back of a horse. And, um, and it was always this, like, I, I don't, ever remember a time in my life where I didn't want to sing country music and be a cowgirl. It was like this hand in hand thing. And for me, the singing part of it just came very, very naturally. And it's what I wanted to do. And I always thought that sometimes people that just play guitar kind of hide behind their guitar. And I wanted to be an entertainer. And so I didn't really pick up a guitar until really the last couple of years and more so this year than any, because it's like I figured out who I was and what my songs were going to be. And then I was like, all right, you know, let's freaking go. I can play guitar too. And I picked one up and just kind of believed that I could. And that's second nature. And I'm kind of mad at myself for not doing it sooner. But I'm also glad that I had to get my singing chops down because I think The voice as an instrument is somewhat underestimated because there's so much nuance to it, and there's so much to sounding like an individual and not like the radio that's been played for you your whole life. And my mom and my voice coach that I started working with when I moved to Nashville, you know, I'd come in and you know my my mom had always said, "Jen, I want you to sound like you." That's why I don't want you to have a voice coach. And then when I found the right voice coach, I would come in and play or something and be like, "I don't know how." you know, she sings like this or blah, blah, blah. And she'd be like, well, I can tell you how to do what she's doing, but we're going to do it with your voice and nobody else's because your tone is what is going to set you apart on the radio. And, um, that's been true of anybody that's made a major mark on country music. I mean, Dolly sounds like Dolly. Mm -hmm. Reba sounds like Reba. And, um, yeah, I, I think I just figured out how to really use that, my voice as an instrument and then um, was like, all right, now I can pick up the guitar.
0: Let's take a quick pause and we'll be right back. Looking to rope in some news and features you can't find anywhere else? Then look no further than the series of blogs at NFRExperience.com. You'll find customized content from experts in all things rodeo and Las Vegas. There's the NFR Insider. The Mental Game and One-on-One with Susan Canode, Hurley's Hotspots and Gold Buckle Buzz with Brian Hurlbert, NFR Experience with Patrick Everson, and the Junior World Finals with Jack Nowlin. There's something for all rodeo fans. Check it out at NFRExperience.com because legacies and memories are made in Vegas.
1: So, other than Grandpa picking on you at the Mexican restaurants, how did you get started, and what direction did you go to be where you're at? Yeah,
2: yeah. So, um, I always I, I did a lot of church choirs and high school choirs and musicals, and I knew that Reba had been in Annie Get Your Gun, and you know had done kind of the full spectrum of entertainment, and I admired her so much for that because I really love being on a stage in whatever capacity. I'm allowed, And, um, but I knew I wanted to do country music first. And so when I went to college, I, you know, told my mom and dad, you know, Hey, I was in a six member ensemble in college that paid for my school. And it was three guys and three girls and an amazing opportunity. And while I was there, um, I went to Savannah college of art and design, which always seems so random to me, but I was in, to backtrack a little bit, I was in a national musical my senior year of high school. And I'd been praying for a full ride because I'm one of four kids and, you know, money was tight. And uh, my dad was like, it's community college or you get a scholarship. And so I was like, all right, Lord, where am I going to to school? And uh, ended up getting a full ride to Savannah College of Art and Design. And Savannah College of Art and Design is an art school. I'd never taken an art class in my life. And so I was in all of these art classes and I'd go in there and I'd be like, you know, I'm going to sing country music. Can I apply whatever the project was to country music? And everybody said, yes, I ended up getting my degree in visual communication. I'd been talking with my dad on the phone and he was like, well, what's the closest thing to business? And I said, well, I just read this article on Kenny Chesney and I'm pretty sure he got his degree in marketing from Tennessee. And I was like, I'm going to find a marketing degree because if I learn how to tell my story the best way I can and uh, communicate clearly about that, then it will set me up for success no matter what I choose to do, but I'm going to apply it to country music. And my dad was like, okay. And I made a lot of trips to Nashville in college and then moved here after that. Um, I lived in Austin for a minute cause I was trying to keep one foot on the ranch and one foot in the music industry. But, um, then moved to Nashville because Ashley Gorley, who was mentoring me in songwriting at the time, and he's just the king of all songwriters, was like, Jenna, if you're not in Nashville, if you're not present, you can't win. And I was like, dang it, because I really <laughs> did not want to move to Tennessee. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm glad I did. And, and it was just a season. And I told myself that when I moved here, I was like, you don't have to be here forever. The goal is always to, to be back home and, and to raise cattle alongside what I'm doing right now and I'm finally in a position to where I get to do both and and I've got their relationships built that were necessary to uh, be as good as I can be as a songwriter and then uh, have the standard that everybody holds a performer and an artist to because I lived here because I don't think you truly get to understand that unless you live in Nashville for a season. What goes into your songwriting process now? You've talked a little bit about your process over the years, but what does it look like now when you sit down? Yeah. um, Well, I get my best ideas two places, either on an airplane or horseback. And I think that's because, like, ideas can just pass through my mind. I don't have my phone in my hand where I try not to even turn on my Wi-Fi on Southwest flights because... It's so nice to just sit there and think, and melodies will pop into my mind when I'm on an airplane or when I'm in the saddle, and then I'll just kind of sing them all day long or think about how to flip them or, you know, what the best angle is on the idea. And then as soon as I get back to the truck, if I'm horseback, or as soon as I get on the ground, if I'm on an airplane, I'll sing whatever that idea is into my phone, and it's usually for me like "Make the World a Small Town," for example, um, on my record, I wrote most of that as a poem on an airplane because I was leaving Thackerville where we shot The Girl I Was music video and we had gone to eat at the Front Porch Cafe and Lori, who has owned that place for a long time, when I called her to see if we could shoot in there, she was like, oh yeah, your granddaddy, I remember Pete Jones um, and his order, you know, bacon and mustard sandwich, which was so random, but (laughs) she remembered (laughs) she remembered his order probably because it was such a weird order, but, uh, but, you know, it's just, there's something special about that. But I got to thinking about it in the air and it became this whole poem and I brought it into a guy, um, Dustin Christensen, when I got to Nashville that week and I had been singing what I thought the chorus needed to be since I had written the poem down and it became a song that day and it took us like two hours, but I had to process why I was writing the song and what was special about it through that poem first. And then other times it'll come to me, you know, like the, a full chorus and I'll be, you know, gathering bulls or something like that. And I'll sing the whole chorus the whole day in my head, just to make sure it doesn't go away, you know, and then record it into my phone and bring the chorus idea into a writing session in Nashville. Um, and it'll become whatever it needs to be from there. And I don't know which way I like better. They both have like a specialness to them. Um, but that's, that's kind of my process. It's never like just the same, but usually I guess those two scenarios are the places that I feel the most inspired and have enough uh, space in my mind to actually think through what the song should be. So I guess this is going to be a random question after hearing that. Does the music or the words come first then for you? Cause it seems like the words are coming first and then what's the process to put music behind that? Yeah. Um, actually sometimes I do get like both lyric and melody together, um, for a chorus. So like, oh gosh, wild like the West. I was driving around Nashville trying to find a parking spot outside my now publisher. And at the time I didn't have a publishing deal and I was driving around as my first write with anybody that wrote for my company. And I had the entire chorus by the time I got up to the room. And both lyric and melody came at the exact same time. Wow. And then, so that happens quite frequently. And well, not even quite frequently, I guess every once in a blue moon. But usually when that happens, I know it's something that I'm probably going to cut. And I'm hoping that I'm going to write the idea with the right person, the right day, so that it becomes what I hope that it will and then um, I guess the poems actually come to me uh, less than melody and lyric at the same time. And uh, I think Make the World a Small Town was just such a special song for me that I had to like write all the thoughts out in order to communicate well enough to somebody in Nashville that's not from a small town and that didn't grow up the way that I did about how sincere the song needed to be. I guess.
0: What's your favorite song to perform live?
2: Oh my gosh. That's such a good question. Um, I think it would probably be a tie between the girl I was because it's a reminder to myself every night. And the more and more I play it out, the more I see people actually knowing the lyrics and see how special it is to them as listeners. And it's just the sweetest reminder to me to never lose sight of that girl. And then I almost like get to sing it like a prayer over other people, because I know there's, I've gotten so many DMS from people of how much they relate to that song. And that is worth its weight in gold for me. That's why I sing. And then uh, as far as just freaking fun songs to play live, um, uh, we know how to Friday night. It's like, that's another one that came to me most of the chorus both lyric and melody at the same time while I was headed to write with Bobby Pinson and Casey Bethard, and um that song I just knew I needed like a barn burner burner like fun thing uh for my show and it was all that and more because of who I wrote it with and every single time I perform it and get to sing that like extended tagline it's just fun because I know other people are having fun and That's that's it for me. You know what it's all about. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, we we know in the rodeo world too. There's certain venues that people want to win at or compete at. It is it the same on the on the music side? Are there certain places that you're like, all right, I've made it, or this is a place that I really, really, really want to perform?
2: Yeah, I mean, a huge one for me was the Grand Ole Opry, and I got to make my debut. A week and a half ago. And I think because, in a way, I didn't know if it was ever going to happen. There was a time there where I was like, maybe I'm just too country for country music. What does it take? You know, I'd been in Nashville for eight and a half years and watched so many people, you know, some that, you know, were there for two months and then got the honor. And I just had to keep telling myself, keep your head down, carve your lane, be who you are. And don't quit. My dad always told me if I had a hard day, he would pretty much end our conversation with Jenna. If you don't quit, they can't beat you. And playing there that night was accumulation of all of that for me. And it I think because it took so long, I didn't have any major expectations of what it was gonna be like. I just knew that, you know, the people that influence country music get to sing there. And that's what made it so weighty for me because I respect it so much. And then I showed up and didn't know what to expect. And I think because of that, everything was special. It like, I don't know, the whole night had this glitter on it. And I wasn't really anxious. I think I was anxious when I got there. And then um, once I started singing with the Opry band, it was just, I was like, oh my gosh, they invited me to be here. (laughs) Like I'm not imposing on anything. And that felt so special to me. Um, And so that, the Grand Ole Opry, was a major major goal um i think outside of that the ryman is a huge deal where the opry was before it was where it is now um i would love at some point to sell out the the ryman and then um red rocks is just a major Mm. bucket list venue for me and uh it's just gosh i mean to dream out there and i love colorado we spend a lot of time day working for a friend of ours in Colorado and there in the summertime at Red Rocks with a lot of our friends that we work for would be a dream come true.
0: I mean, I'm not a writer, but I think you might have been onto something when you said you're too country for country music. I mean, that, that <laughs> you know, yes. that my, yeah,
2: I mean, yep, I mean, and I really did. I felt like that for a minute and that for a second there, it made me try and make cowgirl cool, but you really just don't have to make cowgirl cool, like it just kind of is. It and is, you're exactly so, right. I just stopped trying so hard, and that's when things started working. So <laughs> I'm grateful for that. And I'm so glad that that I'm not too country for country music, and that I really think people are craving that right now, right.
1: yeah, hundred percent
0: well, I mean, in a world where so much is, quote unquote, reality TV, I mean, when you can be genuine yes. and authentic, I mean, there's there's nothing more real than that,
2: thank god. and and it actually creates room for me to still day work and stuff because, I think people within our world respect that, you know, I can have a cow boss tell me what to do. And I love that, you know, like I love that side of my job. You know, I consider it part of my job to to get to be out there doing it as much as I am on a stage. So yeah, I'm just grateful.
1: Yeah. I don't want to say that I'm a songwriter either, but when you started off talking about driving around in the pickup truck with grandpa listening to Don Williams, I was like, is that, are we going it's a for we a new song, or yeah. what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, I tell you what, we're so excited to have you here in Las Vegas and uh, sing the national anthem during the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, but is there uh, any other place that we can uh, watch you perform at while you're here in Vegas?
2: Oh, yeah, we're working it all out right now. We're going to um, have my full schedule up uh, probably a month before the finals, and uh, I'm ecstatic to get to sing in that arena on military night and I just can't tell you what an honor it is for me to be there that is a dream come true that is a dream venue for me
0: well Jenna we appreciate your time this is this has been a blast having a conversation with somebody like you that that thank relates you. to to our world and is doing big things so thank you so much and we look forward to seeing you in Vegas
2: thank you I'm so honored grateful for the opportunity
0: Want to experience more of the NFR? Then visit NFRExperience.com and we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart Radio, and wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've heard on NFR Extra, we would love it if you gave us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe.